recording this like the instructions in the email told me. I agree, this needs to be bigger than just us. Most people will hear this and think it's a simple, serialised fiction, but the people that matter will know it's true, and I hope it helps them. We sacrifice too much for us to keep it secret. After it was clear Beatrice had betrayed us, we rushed Shilpa. I've never seen anyone move so fast or so confidently. She knocked me aside with ease. We got some good solid hits on her with the battens, but she didn't even flinch. I could see they hurt her, but it was like she could ignore the pain and keep moving, like a perfectly trained warrior or terminator. Her body just kept responding and reacting without her direct control. She grabbed Tony by the throat and had her hand drawn back to slash at him with her claw-like nail. But Venus knocked Tony out of the way and took the hit. It's the worst thing I've ever had to watch. Her small body was just ripped apart like she'd been thrown into the way of a lawnmower. She was grinning as she kicked Venus's body aside. I pulled my gun and as she turned to me I pulled the trigger. I couldn't miss. I was no more than a metre away. Straight between the eyes. She fell back like a felled tree. I was the only one left standing. Venus lay dead, no need to check her pulse, and the others were laid out with bruises and cuts all over them. Tony was blinking slowly. I don't think I could have taken it if he had died. Thank you, Venus. You're a hero. But that didn't stop her. I had to put my gun away and was kneeling down by Tony when Shilpa sprang back to her feet, the bullet wound closing over. Kicked me in the guts, knocking me flat. She turned away from me and I couldn't see what happened, but she screamed and then sort of dissolved or faded. John? Out. <coughs> oh. B. B betrayed us. She had to set us up and left us to die. I don't understand. Every time I think I know what's going on and how things work, I, f- I find it, I'm like, John Snow, I know nothing. Was she after the books this whole time? Shilpa must have sent her behind the books. <coughs> oh, she, she doesn't know I have them. Could it have been her at the collector's house? I don't know. And I, and I don't know who returned the books to me or why. There's just so much I don't know. I did figure out how to kill a Rakshasa in the end. Seems pretty obvious now. It was in the Great Journey. When we all rushed Shilpa, I got one hit with my baton, but before I could hit her with the taser, she did some cool roundhouse back kick thing to my head and knocked me down. I saw Venus cop an open-handed slap is too gentle a word. Oh, She was knocked back while she's Spun, she push-kicked John back and caught Tony by the throat. Venus threw herself in the way of Shilpa's clawed hand. I, I guess she can shape-change at will because 
She'd grown herself some claws, tiger claws, I bet. I thought I'd pass out and thought I could just after John shot her. Apparently, he managed to check his gun out on the pretense of taking to the firing range, but skipped out with checking it back in. He stole some bullets from somewhere, just, just a couple. When we left, he took the shell casings and found the bullets and it... There was, there was no evidence anyway. I was about to pass out after the shot. I woke up pretty damn quickly when Shilpa got back up. I felt as if my head would burst from the sudden rush of blood. My hammering heart surged. I think I could just about feel my kidneys squirting adrenaline. Shilpa turned on me, picked me up from the ground by the collar, threw me up against the wall like you see it in the movies. She was so strong. I asked her why she was doing all this. That's when she put her finger to my lips to press some clothes and shush me. I remember thinking to myself that I could just about taste her. That's when the hunter's story and the great journey clicked together. The hunter had only needed to sever the very tip of the Rakshasa's finger. That's all he needed. And the monkey consumes the tiger, sending it into the ocean's depths. <coughs> oh. I bit her finger. I crunched down as hard as I could. The feeling of the flesh giving way beneath my teeth oh, still sickens me. I didn't bite all the way through the finger, but I did pull a bit of the fleshy part off, and that was all I needed. I swallowed. I consumed a part of the tiger, absorbed her. The Rakshasa draws its power from consuming meat, the flesh of living animals. It seems it's a two-way passage, and when a Rakshasa is themselves consumed... They give up all their power. doesn't have to make sense. It's mythology. I think, I think there are deeper connections between events and matter. A sort of entanglement between the physical and what we would consider as just conceptual. I think in some way, the ideas and concepts we think are real. And we're observing them with apparatus we've yet to identify. Look, Tony's okay. John's just a little bruised, and I'm not dead yet. My head hurts like nobody's business, and I've been icing it non-stop. If my brain doesn't swell and crush itself, I'll pull through. We left Venus behind. There's just nothing we could do. I wish we could have done something. She was, she was all over the place. Oh. Oh. Oh, we just need to escape. We had no idea who was watching through those cameras. Or what was watching. We didn't know if Shilpa had reinforcements coming, or if we were now targeted for attribution. We just, we just didn't have the tools, skill or time to do anything. Hi, I represent Exit Plan Security. We are expert consultants in... Uh, no... Um, we are consultants with expertise in extricating you from the difficult and unusual situations you never believed you could be in. No, um, okay, I know. We are like Sam and Dean, only not American, and we don't have a cool car. Sorry, Tony, your car is nice, but it isn't cool. Oh, guys, this is tough. I mean, what are we, like, in one sentence? How do we convey that we deal with supernatural or outlandish issues 
without sounding like a joke. Like we need to reach people who think they're going crazy or have run out of options. Do we like exit plan security as a name? Okay, uh, well, I'll, I'll just record some of the ideas. <clears throat> we are a consultancy that specializes in personal security. Thank you, John, for your license. Private investigation and the destruction or subdual of uncommon or cryptid creatures and entities. When you're in too deep and nothing makes sense, you need an exit plan. I could change my name to Dean. I think I can do Dean. Honey, we could all do Dean, but I've always thought of you as a Sam. <laughs> I couldn't do Dean. I mean, a little light snuggling, maybe, but I think that's about it. Uh, anyway, look, mine's off Sam and Dean. We're trying to put together a business plan. What was Beatrice talking about when she said she'd have to ask Heidi what she sees in you? Oh, seriously? I forgot she said that. It just came to me now. Maybe she was trying to tell us something. Perhaps she didn't betray us quite as badly as we thought. Look, I assumed Heidi died in the explosion at the petrol station, but I mean, I saw the car she arrived in all burnt out. There's no body recovered. I just don't know. It's a little bit too much like some sort of daytime soap opera. I mean, what's Beatrice's motivation? Motivation? We don't know what game Beatrice is playing. She dropped the ghoul on us and then convinced you to try to kill Shilpa. Maybe she's holding Heidi for more. Ah, look, look, that'll come. I've got nothing to go on. If Beatrice is hoping to use Heidi, she'll have to get in touch. Until then, I can only assume she was messing with me. That's all I can think of. Look, let's work out our exit plan security strategy. We just got our first job as exit plan security. There's a big new building going up in Sydney, over top of an old train yard in Redfern. There have been numerous acts of sabotage and two guys have been badly injured as a result. I don't have the full details yet, but they want us to investigate and intervene. That's all I know. I don't know why they think we can be of help, but I do know they are paying our full consulting rate, so it looks like we eat this week. Here is what I found in our books. The Great Journey by Florence Jules. I'm going to look for something in here every time now. It seems garbled, but it seemed to make some sense with Shilpa. In the gleam of a silver fork bent at the tines. It's page 43. Over and over. I'll start again because I can't read. Over us and under us. There lies the river of all things. The fisherman casts a line in and isn't surprised when he gets a bite. But the wading bather doesn't like the attention of the river's caress. The bank crumbles over time as the fisherman changes position with the seasons. The course of the river shifts and with it go the fish and the cold hands of the river's desire. That desire that carries the intent of the caress is to destroy permanence and test the foundation of our perception. Resistance of the banks fails to shift the river for long, and though the fisherman kicks rock and rubble into the river to appease it, he must change his position to catch the fish he needs, and the bather is submerged to return elsewhere cleansed and forever other. So I don't think I'm quite high enough to fully grasp what that's about, but I like the use of the term fork, as an implement for eating and for a change in a river. Again with the silver reference, 
and light. One day maybe I'll figure out what that's about, but flow is talking about a river that erodes the surrounding banks and changes course. She talks about a fisherman catching fish and a bather being taken by the river and being forever changed. The building site is over old train tracks, which I sort of think is like a river that has changed course, but the building is trying to withstand the old path the trains took. I'm not sure about the fisherman, but he kicks rubble into the river in an effort to stop it changing so he can cast his line, which might be considered sabotage from the builder's point of view. I guess uh, I have to admit it's a pretty weak link. But here is some more commentary by David Geldstein in his catalogue of the various lost denizens of the old world. Ah. May 12, 1820. It was a beautiful day, and the sun glinted off the grease on the steam pump dredging water from the newly dug iron pit mine in the Principality of Transylvania, just to the east of Cluj-Napoca. I hope I pronounced that right. The grassy meadows of small farm holdings in the far distance made a patchwork of the otherwise heavily forested hills. The snow caps of the Carpathians to the north and east seemed to cradle and frame the valley. In the shadow of the mountains lived some of the most diverse legends, many of which may well be fact still. It is hard to determine which superstitions are true and which have been hung as window dressing on otherwise mundane events and notable people. What was notable now in the valley was the collection of steam pumps making accessible ever deeper reserves of iron ore. I've come to this valley for the conflicting legends of the gnome spirits here. On one hand, they're said to work with the Zane of the forest to look over and protect the people and keep the machines and equipment running while, on the other, they're said to be the ones that sabotage and destroy machines. This is besides the story of children being lured into were guided out of the forest. It is easy to imagine the failure of a complex modern machine, such as a steam pump, to be the work of a malignant spirit, but these stories were present prior to the modern era. In days past, it was forge bellows failing, loose roof tiles, or even a broom snapping. Presently, there has been a rash of machine failures and boiler explosions that have killed several workers. This level of destruction is unusual, and is being blamed on a batch of spirits disturbed when the underground stream that runs under this valley was diverted and pumped away. There is a fear that such radical and rapid deviation of nature's course invites supernatural backlash. It is possible in this instance that the creatures that dwelt in the depths of the rocks have been upset and have turned their malevolence on the machines and the people who run them. Uh, anyway, um, blah blah, interview people, blah blah... Okay, here we go. The stakeout. I set myself in place, hidden by strips of bark and a cloak first rubbed with rosin from the pines and then coated with sand and stone chips. In this way, if I sit very still, I would be largely invisible to a human, but most importantly, the natural coverings would conceal me from the gnomes of the valley while they did their work. It was on the second such evening of vigil that I saw movement. The afternoon shift had just changed and the sun was kissing the peaks of the west. From behind a pile of slag to the left of pump number two, a short, skinny creature stepped. He stood bent double, the ridges of his spine pressing sharply outward. 
His grey lumpy skin was drawn tight revealing his ribs and wiry sinew and muscle. If he stood erect, he would scarcely reach a height of three feet. He used his hands to help climb and creep over the rubble to the base of the pump. One clawed hand ran over the surface of the pump with what seemed reverence before he drew back and punched his open hand into the belly of the pump, piercing the iron side as if it were paper. He reached around inside, going up to his elbow before retracting his hand, and with a last glance at the machine, he scampered away again. At first, the pump seemed unaffected, but then a slight vibration started, and over the following minutes it grew into a high-pitched screech. Workers came running from all over the mine site before one of the engineers turned, and, waving his hands, chased everyone away. Taking heed of the warning, I too ran behind a rock outcropping, in time to hear an almighty crashing as the pump failed. Okay, so it looks like we've got our first job. To scare off some gremlins, and maybe catch a fish from the river of all things. This is my exit plan. Thank you for listening to Season 1 of Exit Plan. You are most excellent for giving your attention. The next episode will come out after a short hiatus. Season 2 will see the growth of Exit Plan security and the discovery of the evil force behind Beatrice's actions. Special thanks to David Ryan Kinsman as Tony and Mark Regan as John. If you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends about it. For more information visit gravityundone.net.